kind of middle-aged, 40-ish, round about there, and you had worry beans in your hands that you were, and there was, there was a stress all over you. And I, I believe the Lord is saying to you today, I want to, I want to bring you peace. But you need to let go of the worry beads. You need to let go of that which is occupying you. It's been so bad that even lately you've been concerned about your health. The concern has been so great. The worry has started to, 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 to take hold of you on the inside. And the Lord is saying He wants to exchange your stress, your turmoil, your, your fretting. He wants to exchange that for His peace this morning. He's not asking you just to put the worry beads down. He's asking you to run into Him and find your peace in Him. And so if it's you, maybe you can just pray this prayer. Lord, as I come to you today, I want to confess, Lord, that I've been worrying about stuff and I've been trying to solve problems on my own. But Lord, I want to come to you this morning and I want to run into you and I want to, to confess, Lord, that you are the only one that can bring me peace. And I just suck your peace into my lungs into my life today in Jesus name thank you for your peace beyond understanding thank you that in the midst of trouble father you are there for me and I run to you in Jesus name amen amen if that is you and you want someone just to stand with you um, after the service please come up for for prayer we'd like to just stand with you you can leave it there, Kathy. <coughs> Is that the wrong one? <laughs> Isn't God good? There are, there are a few. Isn't God good? good for it to a few of us this morning. Let's hope by the end of the service is good to all of us. And so, Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, that our hearts are like fields today, plowed fields. And we receive your word, Father, as your word comes and finds a place to settle in our hearts this morning. We want to pray, Lord, that it will take root and grow and become a mighty crop, Father, that will even surprise us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> I, I, I want to kind of um, just make put a full stop behind last week's message. Remember last week's message? It kind of, if I could just encapsulate it, it really is, was that God gives us a new beginning. The old is gone and the new has come. We become completely new. In that exchange um, that he has for us, is that it's not, it's not, we don't become better. The old goes, it's gone. It sees us not as the world would continue to define us, but he sees us as completely new when we come to him and surrender our lives to him. Uh, spoke about us, Lord, giving us a new script to write for our lives. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to close that off today with, a message which I feel if I don't, it'll be incomplete. It's, it's pointless us getting to the place where we just want to tear up the old script and get rid of it. What then? What then? There's another part to that, 
to that story that we need to hear to complete, to complete the story. So I want to um, just complete the story this morning, uh, if, I, if I might. This sounds very loud. Is it loud for you guys? Is it, is it all right? Great. You're doing a great job, Kaku. Thank you. Tearing up the old doesn't guarantee a better new script. If we start off the new script with the same elements as we were with the old script, we'll just start a new one, but in down the road, it'll be the same story. Would you agree with me? I mean, it's, it's pointless just trying, to, just trying to tear up the old and start the new. What is the new? How do we walk into the new? How do we, how do we deal with the new? And it's important that we understand that there's a process involved in it. The Bible's full of it. How when you turn your life away from the one, you turn it towards a new life in Christ. Um, the Bible would maybe put it under the heading of sanctification in the process after salvation is a process of sanctification that takes place in our lives. But I just want to preface what I'm saying this morning with this so that we understand the process. God is intently interested in us personally. He knows your name. In fact, he most probably was there at the beginning, giving you the name. He knows your name. He knows our feelings, our emotions. And he knows our physically so well that he even takes interest in the number of hairs that you've got on your head. He knows it. He just knows it. It's easy with you, Brendan. But, but, but he, knows it. he knows it and understands. And he knows it and understands us intimately, much, much better than we even understand ourselves. But it's not about us and his emotion towards us. God is busy building and establishing his rulership on earth. And so when, we, when we, he deals with us to deal with the sin of the past, it's because we've refused to be part of his plan for the future, his future on earth, and we get born again into a new way of life, into his kingdom. Because he's interested in ruling and reigning. Because he's God. <coughs> he's not a God. He's the God. And so he's interested in ruling and reigning. So he wants us to get saved to the extent that when we get saved, he empowers us with his gifts, with his talents, with, with his abilities. He empowers us with that to the extent that he wants us to take our place in his kingdom. And so we don't get called just so that we can be better people. That is what he wants us to be. But he wants us to be better people on a mission for him on this earth as we're establishing his kingdom. So what I'm going to be dealing with is it's important that we understand that because I'm going to be speaking a lot on us writing the new script for us. How do we live according to this new script? But it's not just for me and my in the context of our humanism that we raised in today, the first vaccination that you and I got was humanism. Man first, then God over there somewhere. And since our first cry, we've been crying out for attention because I want to be first. And so God's got to come and change the order in our lives because we're not born where, uh, into a kingdom where man is first. God wants us to get saved and he's for us. But that's not the end of the story. He's for us for a very good reason. And so when we tear up the old script, there's a new one that unfolds 
for us. And I want to speak a bit about that new one. Uh, it, uh, in Mark 2 verse uh, 22, he says, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. And what we, I want to share this morning is how to make a new wineskin so that we can receive the new wine. It's really about how to manufacture a new uh, wineskin. I want to give you a, maybe it's a drastic example, but out of this example we can extrapolate a lot of um, meaning and purpose even for our lives who maybe are not caught in drugs. Drug dependency is a terrible place to find yourself because you become enslaved to a substance. You become enslaved that when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about a substance. You think about how I'm going to get more of that which I need in order to make me feel the way that I need to feel for the rest of the day. So my day is taken up. My thoughts are taken up. My desires are taken up. My schemes and my planning is taken up into how I can get another fix. And so what happens is that I learn habits that are become learned habits, practiced habits, that are constantly used in order to get the fix. And those habits include lying, stealing, not being truthful wherever I go, <laughs> trying to scheme and manipulate the people around me so that I can continually get to, to, to have my habit fixed. Now I get born again. Now I get saved. The Lord takes care of the old. The old is gone. The new has come. But the problem is that the pattern of thinking is still there. And so now I could even try and manipulate God. And you can actually sometimes hear in the language of people that have just come, come out of drugs, how they try and manipulate God in order to supply their fix for the day, whatever it might be. And so there's that, that process that needs to be unlearned or dealt with in such a way that our new wineskin becomes ready for the new wine. So that the old is dealt with, finished and clear, and that the new is being created new to receive that which God has got for us. One of the worst fixes that we as, as maybe if I can call religious people run to is the fix of religion. That's why Jesus was so against religion. It's because religion gives you a fix. Is If you go often enough, if you give enough, if you're on the treadmill of re the religious institution enough, if you're a church enough, if, you, if you're this enough, if you're that enough, I will bury you one day and I will deal with you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was part of that. I understand it. So it gives us the understanding that it's okay for me just to be religious and God will accept me dangerous place to be. Now we're dealing in God's territory and we're placating ourselves that God will, if I do this, God will. Now he might not if I'm not doing it according to his principles. And so I need to learn a new way of living. I need to learn that I don't have to get up at four o'clock every morning and pray for an hour for God to accept me. I have to learn that I don't have to get up every morning at 3 o'clock and maybe read my Bible until 8 o'clock for God to accept me. I don't have to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church for God to accept me. I don't have to come to a prayer meeting on a Friday morning for God to accept me. He's looking for a willing sacrifice. 
He's looking for us to enter into communion with Him because we want to, not because we have to. And religion puts puts that have to on us, where we constantly have to behave and constantly have to do something in a certain way. I know it's a graphic example, but it's one that we all need to understand so that we can recognize the religious in us. So that we can put the religious, we can get past the religious and say, I'm not going to go down that road again. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to get up in the morning at four o'clock because I love to meet with Him. I feel empty inside if I don't meet with Him. I love to read the Word of God, Lord, because I need to understand you better. I need to see you who you really are. And the joy comes from within, and it doesn't come from a religious duty of me performing some rituals in order to be accepted by God. And so I can come to him as a true daddy and a son. That's what he wants. doesn't want me to come past a whole lot of rituals to him, that he cannot trust the rituals because he doesn't know my allegiance because I'm doing it for ritual's sake. Luke um, chapter 15, I'm going to be there for a little while. There's three parables at the beginning of Luke uh, chapter 15. The parables, we know them very well. Jesus is actually criticized during these parables. At the beginning of these parables, he's meeting, the Bible tells us, with tax collectors and sinners. That was the crowd he was hanging out with. Now get the picture. They were sitting around Jesus with a smell of whiskey on their breath from the night before. And the tax collectors who were hated by the community were sitting with him. And those were the ones Jesus was sitting with. The religious come to him and they say, the scribes and the Pharisees come to him and say, you can't trust this guy. He's fellowshipping with sinners. And there was the issue that, that he was... And they, and they started to criticize what was happening. But this was Jesus' speciality, was reaching out to those who were lost. And so he gives them these three parables. And these three parables pertain to the, the, the message that I want to share. The first one was where, where he says there was a, um, a lost sheep. There were, a guy had a hundred sheep. One got lost. And so he left the 99, and he went after the lost. And when he found the lost, there was joy. The next one is about a widow who had 10 silver coins, and she lost the one silver coin. And she called her friends, she called everybody, come help me look for the coin. She packed her house out, and you can imagine the flurry to find this one silver coin that was obviously very precious to her. When they found the coin... There was much joy. And the one that I want to spend a bit of time on this morning was, is the one about the prodigal son. The one guy who came to Jesus, or came to his father, and he said, give me the money, I'm going to go and spend it all, and I'll be reading it shortly. But the common thread that runs through all three of those accounts is this. The one of the lost lamb, when they found the lost lamb, he said, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. The picture I would like us to get from this portion of Scripture and from the, from the, that we can kind of glean out of this verse, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. 
about one sinner who repents from the 99 who do not need to repent. I, lo I, I, I love that picture. I love that picture because what happens on earth affects and impacts what happens in heaven when we witness for Christ and when sinners turn their back on the lost, uh, uh, on, their, on their previous way of life. So when they, when they tear up that script, that old script we were speaking about last week, something happens in the spiritual atmosphere where heaven looks and celebrates that moment. I love that picture. I thought you'd be up and dancing in your seats by now. I love that picture. I love that picture where what happens on earth can so intimately impact what's happening in heaven. The lost coin. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Can you just imagine the angels in God's presence? Hey, hallelujah, hallelujah. And this echo of praise that goes up from them because one sinner has repented. Can you imagine it for a moment? Sorry, I just love to see in pictures. I, I love this picture. The last one. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. I love this one. Jesus loves the smell of brass. <laughs> Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what happened. And all three of these incidents ended up with heaven rejoicing and us having a party. So we need to understand that it's God's priority that we do tear up the script and write a new one. It's God's priority for us to, to understand that it's not just a, a, a quick mouthing of a prayer, of a sinner's prayer, which there's not much of in the Bible in any case. There's not quick mouthing of a sinner's prayer, but there is huge celebration when one life comes before God and says, Lord, I want to be finished of this path. Forgive me for my sinfulness. Forgive me, Lord, that I've been relying on myself. Forgive me, Lord. I want to come and I want to, I want to enter into a new life with you. I want to turn 180 degrees, Father, and I want to enter into a new life with you so that I can live for you, rejoicing in heaven when that happens. It's not just a quick little, little prayer that we can say. It's a change of a lifestyle that at that moment takes place. I want to quickly read for you the... Um, the last parable, the one of the, uh, the son who took his stuff. To illustrate this further point further, Jesus said to them the story, a man has two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now instead of waiting until you die. I mean, how crass can that be? So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. Obviously, when Jesus gives an illustration like this, that's what he feels like sometimes when we just go. Obviously what he feels like. I just want to take my stuff and go before. I don't want to be involved with you anymore. A few days later, this younger son packed up his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. 
He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, an important conversation to have, he said to himself, at home even the hired men have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A wonderful attitude to have when we want to write a new script about our lives. But those fathers said to the servants, quickly, bring the finest robe. This is God's first intent when he sees us, is how can I, how can I uh, take that smell of sin off you and place you into the kingdom so that you can be active again for the king, for what I'm doing. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For his son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now has been found. And so the party <laughs> began. What a, what a tone to set a party off on. With the son coming back again. The first point, and there's uh, the three, uh, four points, four or five points that I want to mention in writing a script. So the old has been torn up. How we used to live. That was our script that we lived by. And we tore it up. The old is gone. Now the new, how to make a new wineskin, is important that we embrace this if we want to make a new wineskin for us so that we can hold the new wine that God has got for us. The first thing that we need to do is that we need revelation. It's not just an, an idea and it's not just a thought. It's a revelation. What happened to the son is that he went the whole cycle of life expressing his independence, expressing his independence uh, to the hilt by getting rid of all the past, getting rid of all father's money, all the father's care of the past was thrown out in that wild living process that he was going through. And he went around, came right around to the beginning where he had nothing, absolutely nothing. And it was at that stage that revelation came. It wasn't just while he was sitting in the pew of a church and someone was preaching an emotional sermon that he put up his hand and said, now I know. It wasn't that. It was they came to their senses where they knew that they knew that if they carry on this lifestyle, it is certain death for me. And if I don't change, I'm going to die with these pigs. And there's no future and no hope for me. That's what revelation is about. It's about looking at my filth and exchanging it for a new. In all the, the preaching of the, um, around about the Wesleyan re revival and so on, they were marked for repentance. 
people would say, what was the, at the root of that revival? They'd say repentance. Prayer and repentance was at the root of, of those revivals that took place. And then following through on that conviction is maybe the next best step that we can do as far as the revelation is concerned. Because we know that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, don't we? Where we, where we, it's my intention this year. This is 2023. It's my intention this year. I'm going to have a, what do they call it when you make that thing at the beginning of the year? A new resolution this year. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do, this new year's resolution. If it lasts into February, you're doing well. <laughs> really doing well. Because the road to hell, the road to physical fitness and slimness, believe me, I've tried it. Everyone available. The road to physical fitness and, 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 and health normally lasts for as long as the chop isn't there anymore. Really, it, it's, it's temporary. It lasts for a short while, and then it's gone. Because in my, in my own self and my own emotions, that's what let me down, is my emotions. In the first wave, that's what's let me down. So I cannot rely on my emotions anymore. I need to recognize that what needs to be renewed is my emotions as well. Towards my attitude to God. It cannot be built on a flippant decision. It's got to be built on a, on a revelation as to who, who God really is. And as the one, the one um, person said, the road of failure... Uh, the road to failure is made easier by good intentions. <laughs> it kind of makes it feel a little bit better when I know that it's not really what I want, but I um, can't help myself from getting there. Truth needs to penetrate the heart. Truth needs to call, cause remorse in us. Truth needs to see how much my sin has offended the work of the cross. When, my, when, my, when truth enters my heart and I can see that I've exchanged living in a palace for living in a pigsty, God can come. It's at that moment. That's what revelation is about. It's at that moment. We need to own our, uh, that inner voice that only we know, that in the middle of the night when that voice starts speaking to us, that we can see that that is the truth of my life, then I need to have the courage to say, Lord, Help my unbelief. Help me, Lord, in my unbelief. I need more faith to follow you. Believe me, I've prayed that prayer often. Where I know that I know this is what, I, this is what God wants of me. God, give me the courage. Give me the courage to pursue you as far as, as, far as this is concerned. I don't want to persuade myself that it's okay on a, on a middle road. I want to rather persuade myself that I need to be on the narrow road and ask God for his help and assistance to be on the narrow road. Because it's at that exchange where I sit, revelation comes, and I say to myself, in my father's house. That's what happened to that young man. He was sitting there with the pigs. And he suddenly came to the realization, what's going on here? I know my father's house. I know the house I grew up in. I know the dreams that my father's got for me. What's going on here? And I know where I am. All of a sudden, the stench on him started to affect him, him as well. Maybe in the past, he was giving excuses for the stench. 
Now all of a sudden the pig stench started to get to him as he sat in that pig's pen. We need revelation. We need a revelation of who God is. We need a revelation. Secondly, we need to know the heart of the Father. We need to know his heart. So we need to get a revelation from him, and that revelation needs to form a, cor form a cornerstone of the new. The second is that we need to know the heart of our Father. And it's sometimes difficult to know the heart of our Father when we don't know our Father really. When you've just got a memory of maybe what it did look like or should look like. But let those memories stimulate us towards Him at least. Romans 5, it says, But God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were all sinners, He died for us. Jesus didn't come for me when I polished my life up well enough. And I thought I was good enough. And then I went to Him and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I was a rotten sinner. And Jesus saved me. You were a rotten sinner. And Jesus saved you. Paul boasts, he says, I'm a sinner above all. Because he realizes that the minute you take your eyes off your condition and who God is, you're in dangerous territory. The Bible doesn't say that he was eating pig's food. Interesting, when you go to the story, the Bible says he would gladly have eaten the pig's food if he could. He said that, that no one gave him anything to eat, not only the pig, not even the pigs, basically. I mean, this is what he's saying. He's sitting there and the Bible says no one gave him anything to eat and he would gladly have filled his tummy with the pods that the pigs were eating. But even the pigs wouldn't share with him. That's low. That's really low. What about a deep pit, as you can imagine, was the pit that he found himself in, even rejected by his immediate environment, the pigs he was living with. That's what sin does to us. It sucks us in until the environment starts to stink for us and we realize that it's no good for us anymore. He had no home. He had no food. He had no family, no friends. No opportunities on the horizon. Nothing to hope for. No future to look forward to. No reason for hope at all. Indeed, he'd come to the end of the road. If I had to do a survey here this morning, and I had to say to you, how many of you felt that he deserved what he got? How many of you felt that this was the, the overflow of the outcome of his bad decision? I'm sure that 99 out of 100 would put up our hands and say, yeah, he chose it. He went to his dad and he chose it. He chose that way of life. The only problem is the flaw in our story is that one person didn't believe that he chose it. One person didn't believe that he was beyond it. And that was his father. His father said, come home, my boy. Come home. You didn't deserve it. it you didn't, I, mean, I know you choose, chose it, but come home. Come home. And so usually what happens is we're far harder on ourselves than what God is. God is not hard on us. We're far harder on ourselves. And after a while, the community in which we're living start to describe us by the sin that we carry. And so con constantly reminder of where we should be. But it's the Father who runs after him 
puts a cloak over his stinking son and says, I don't see that. I don't see it anymore. It's gone. It's truly gone. I don't see it anymore. And in fact, he says, go and get him a ring. And it's not just a ring that you go and buy in the, in the passage in the mall. It's a family ring that gives him power to sign on the father's behalf when he does a contract and a deal. And he comes to his father and his father restores it. You see, if we know the heart of the father, we know how much God is for us. We know how much he loves us. We know that it's no question for us to lay down that old and to rewrite that narrative as to who my daddy is. Number three, say goodbye to the handouts and take full responsibility. Saying goodbye to the handouts and taking full responsibility for our lives. A while ago, I was, I was reading this parable and I spent quite a long time in it. And the Holy Spirit told me this in the middle of reading the parable. And I know it needs to be balanced, especially with 1 John, where he says, if you see your brother in need and have no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in you? But what the Holy Spirit told me as I was reading this passage, he says, if you feed someone in the pig's pit, you keep him there. If you feed him while he's there, you keep him there. Which tells me it's not... I mean, 1 John says, if you see your brother in need and have no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in you? And so we need to balance these two scriptures out, of course, because God wants us to feel the heart for the people that are suffering around us. But God's busy with the process in people's lives that if we interject in that process and we, and we uphold the... Um, the exterior needs, material needs, long enough. It'll keep them away from God long enough to learn how to survive on Him without Him long enough. And so we need to be careful. I'm just saying, I'm not saying we mustn't have compassion for people. We do. We have to have compassion for people. We have to help people. And we have to help people in need. But I'm just saying that we need to be conscious and aware of the fact that the father didn't send a delegation to the son and say, please go and see that he's got enough food. Please go and see that he's, he's okay. His daddy took a step back. And this is a story about our heavenly father's attitude towards us. His daddy took a step back from us and said, let this run its course. He still stayed intimately Involved with the compassion he had for his son. He said, let her run its course. I'll be there when he needs me. I'll be there when he needs me. You and I have got lots of stories about people who have come and said, they want, they want something. Only to, to discover that it's really just helped and perpetuated a, a habit that has been there for decades maybe. So we need to have God's wisdom. Say goodbye to handouts. Why is it so important that we say goodbye to handouts? Is that we must say, we need to be able to say to the Lord, I can remember so clearly when Jill and I stepped out of the ministry in the church we were at at that time and we went to Johannesburg. 
I can remember so clearly. There was something working out in my life, which was a painful process at the time. I can remember standing on the heights, and I've shared this with you once or twice in the past. I can remember standing on the heights of Joburg at night and looking at all of the lights. We were staying in Vrienichen. Looking around us at all of the lights around us, the millions and millions of lights around us. And I said to Jill, don't worry, we, we won't starve here. Didn't have a job or anything. Don't worry, we won't starve here because I was an electrician at the time. <laughs> you see, we've got to answer two, good, two questions, vital questions that you answer for yourself and answer for myself. Who is God? Who is God? You need to find a good answer for that before you die. Who is God? Who is He? Is He just one of another God? Or is He the creator of the universe who you can run into and trust your life to as much as you trust the next breath of oxygen you take in? Can you trust Him that much? Who is God? The second question you need to have an answer before you die is who am I? Who am I? in the context of who God is. You see, and this is what God was dealing with in the pig's pen. He was busy building a new identity in the sun. And when the, when, the, when the cloak and the ring came, it kind of sealed his new identity that he could truly turn his back on the past and write this new one in his new script that he had for his life. Who am I and who is God? Number four, we need to accept the process that there's a walk back to God. It's not, it doesn't, it's not something that happens instantly. There's a process that takes us back to God. And it's an important process. It's a process where when we are with the Father, we close our eyes, we can smell the pigs again. It's not that we want to go back, it's because we want to run away from the pigs. And so it's important that we understand that process helps me in my next life. There's a process of walking back to my Father, which reminds me when, I, when, I, when I'm spending some time alone and things get quiet around me, I can get that stench in my nostrils to say, I hate sin. I hate it. I don't want to go there. I'm finished with sin. I'm finished with turning my back on God. We need to own it. You see, the world's going to continually to remind you, that guy there, he's the drug addict. That guy there, he's the alcoholic. The world will continue to remind us, but when we know who we are, that's why it's important for me to know who my daddy is and who I am, because when I know that, no one can come to me and say, yeah, he's the drug addict. I've lost my identity. I've got a new identity now. The old script has been torn up and thrown away. There's a new one with my new name on the script. It's important that I get that new identity. It's important that that, that ring on my finger tells me when I, when I get lonely at night, I can caress that ring and say, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy, for the cross. Thank you, the Lord. It's because of the cross that you've given me a new identity. Thank you for the reminders. I see the ring on my finger. Thank you for the reminder of my salvation and the, and, the, and the switch that I had, the exchange that I had for this new identity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Without him, we are all rotten 
miserable sinners we can, because we cannot be our own savior. We need him. We need him. In the eyes of the world, they'll continually want to describe us by who we were. And so we need that new identity. We need to know who we are. The last point I want to mention. Humbly come under the Father's protection. It's, let's not become arrogant when we get there. Let's not become arrogant when we've got that ring on our finger. One of the saddest things in church is people testifying before the revelation. Before they've got the script, the new script that they're living by. And we ask them to testify. They haven't gone through this process. It hasn't become part of the script. So what do they do? They stand on the stage and they give a testimony and it's all built on willpower. It's all built on my ability. And we know that that lets us down, down the road. We've heard testimonies like that. Where everything goes into this testimony. God has changed me. God has done this for me. God has done that for me. And a year later, they're back and even worse than what they were before. If we don't go through that journey and place ourselves in his family, in his church, where we come in submission to him, where we come in submission to one another, I refuse to be independent. I refuse it. People have had to speak into my life a couple of times, and it's been sore. I value that above the sin. I value it. Love being part of the family. I love being part of the family that can iron sharpens iron. And we, we become part of his process of renewal and strengthening. I'm not going to allow my emotions to lead. But what I do know is that I need to let revelation of who he is who is God and who am I? And so let's bow our heads. Father, I want to thank you that you give us a new identity. Thank you that you give us a new identity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you write on our hearts, Father, your fatherhood. We love you, Lord, because of that. We love you, Lord, because when we think of you, we think of our bloodline that is so strong in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that no one can persuade us away from you because it's a living relationship with a living God that we have, and we don't want to swap that with, for anything on the face of this earth. Father, I want to pray for every person here this morning who's maybe had difficulty in rewriting that script, maybe been a bit confused as to go about, how to go about rewriting the script, Lord. I want to pray for everyone, Father, that you would draw especially close to them <coughs> over this while and help them, Father, to fix that question in their hearts, who you are. Reveal your Father heart to every one of them, Lord. And Father, I want to pray that as you do that, they will truly understand that they are made in your image. They'd made like you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father, that comes and, and occupies us. And we want to open our hearts, Lord, for you to come by your Spirit, to convict us constantly of your love and our sinfulness, so that that script will be secure in bringing us closer to you. In Jesus' name.
in Jesus' name. Anybody need prayer, please come up to the front.